the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And we pray as our Savior has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, brothers, we continue to reflect upon, talk about St. Benedict, uh, the father of Western monasticism, and how he models that virtue of religion for us. Again, always drawing from that, that beautiful line that comes from St. Paul, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We look at the saints, we see particular aspects of Christ really shining through them. We find ourselves attracted to them and we draw ourselves to them. And so we, we are drawn into a relationship with these saints. And as we are drawn in relationship with these saints, they intercede for us. Where they have gone, we hope to follow. So St. Benedict, we'll go into his life again, his flight from Rome into the wilderness. It also shows the importance of regular times of retreat, such as what we are doing at this very moment. And even perhaps monthly days or mornings of recollection, looking for opportunities, especially here, uh, for those of you who live here in the Archdiocese, there's all sorts of opportunities uh, uh, for, for days of recollection, mornings of recollection, good opportunities to, to grow in one's faith, those um, regular times of retreat. And it was in such a retreat that St. Benedict, he himself became a saint. It was in such uh, uh, one that he, was over, he overcame the principal vices, and what he did was he tranquilized his soul to the point that peace always surrounded him, no matter what difficulty or no matter what temptation came his way, peace always surrounded him. One only needs to read that the many miracles and that St. Benedict worked to see how this is true in his life. So interestingly, it was during this time of intensified prayer that he not only discovered his principal vices, but he also learned in prayer and therefore from God, how, how to overcome them and how to become virtuous. So for St. Benedict, these were the three, the three biggies, pride, sensuality, and anger. These were the main hurdles that he experienced in his life on his path to perfection. So I don't imagine we are much different than he. Nevertheless, each of us has our own specific weaknesses and it's important that we know what they are. The devil does, he knows what they are for sure, and he pokes at them often even when we don't realize it. Um, just a quick little pause on this. Um, hopefully we have some Tolkien fans here, and, and, um, and regardless of what he did, that Peter Jackson did to the, the Hobbit in the movies, the book is an outstanding book, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful book. And it's all about uh, a journey, right? And we think about our earthly journey that we're on here. 
But, you know, the, the antagonist in the whole movie is Smog. It's the, it's the, the uh, a dragon. It was the dragon sickness, and he was just full, so full of greed and so full of himself. And they talk all in all about how great Smog was and, and how he was, his skin was like, uh, these scales were like diamonds and they were impenetrable, right? But as you go through the movie, you start to, or the book, you start to realize that in his breast, his breastplate, he has this one scale and it's a point of weakness that he has. And, you know, that's eventually how they take him down with his special arrow, they take him down. And if we think about our own lives too, you know, we have the, that scale or those scales in our lives. We have those points of weakness and uh, that, that, you know, that perhaps hopefully we're able to identify, but the devil's able to identify. And he's always seeking and trying to shoot arrows into those in order to take us down. And as I mentioned with, with Benedict, his three moments or three points of weakness that were difficult for him were pride, sensuality, and anger. Pride, sensuality, and anger. Again, I say the devil knows what they are and for in us, and we know that he'll try to, to take, a, uh, take a stab at them if he's able to. So, question is, do you know your main vices? And do you work at conquering those main vices? And these are important questions for us to ask, especially these vices uh, when these vices are our main hurdles, main hurdles to perfection. They are the main things that stand between us in terms of serving God and enduring, adoring God from being properly living out the vocation to which each person has been called. And when I say vocation, I mean state in life. What is my state in life? Obviously, my state in life is as a cleric, as a, as a, as a bishop, priest, as a bishop. Uh, for many of you, your state in life might be as a husband. For many of you, your state in life might be as a single person. And whatever the case is, whatever the state of life is, we want to make sure that we are living out our vocation, right? Vocation means it's a call that comes to us from God. We don't back into it or we don't come to it by, by default. But our vocation comes to us from, from God. The Latin word actually that we get vocation from is vocare. Vocare means to call. God is the one who calls us. So um, they can be stumbling blocks in, for us to really to be living out that vocation um, which we have been called by God. So obviously days of recollection or retreats such as these are perfect opportunities for us to do that, to reflect upon and to try to, try to discern where is, where is it that is my weak point? So by virtue of religion then, and by placing God first, we must often return to these times of intensified prayers during which we must seek out the Lord anew. The psalmist in 105 says, constantly seek his face. That is what we do in prayer. And often during these extended times of prayer, what the Lord does is he shows us his face and he shows us his face in various ways, thereby giving us strength to serve him well, uh, to serve him well as Catholic men. So surely St. Benedict experienced the same in his initial retreats and, and later in his monasteries, for he knew both the power and the importance of prayer. 
And the same Wednesday audience that I cited a little earlier from Pope Benedict XVI, he describes this very fact as he said, throughout the second book of his dialogues, St. Gregory shows us how St. Benedict's life was steeped in an atmosphere of prayer, the foundation of his existence. Without prayer, there is no experience of God. Yet Benedict's spirituality was not an interiority, in interiority removed from reality. In the anxiety and confusion of his day, he lived under God's gaze, and in this very way, never lost sight of the duties of daily life and of man with his practical needs. Seeing God, he understood the reality of man and his mission. In his rule, he describes the monastic life as, quote, a school for the service of the Lord, end quote. And he advises his monks, let nothing be preferred to the work of God. Nothing be preferred to the work of God. However, Benedict states that in the first place, prayer is an act of listening, which must then be expressed in action. The Lord is waiting every day for us to respond to his holy admonitions by our deeds. Thus, the monk's life becomes a fruitful symbiosis between action and contemplation, so that God may be glorified in all things. Now, I think the one thing we can all say is none of us are monks and none of us live in monasteries. We have not left the world in the same way as monastics. This doesn't mean, however, that we cannot strive to have the same sort of constancy in seeking the face of God, or even on spiritual retreats from the world. You know, these things, what we do right now, are not simply for religious. These things are not just simply for people who we would consider as holy people. These things are for every baptized Catholic, what we do on this weekend. Because whenever you take the time, whether it's a day of recollection, a morning of recollection, or an extended retreat like we're doing over the weekend, whenever you do that, what you're doing is you're seeking the face of God. And what a beautiful example we have that in our saint today, Saint Benedict. So along with the actual monasteries of Saint Benedict, there has been a long tradition of a sort of spiritual monastery, which we build up in our hearts and in our souls. So recall, recall what our Lord said. Whenever you pray, go to your room, close your door, and pray to your Father in private. Many have interpreted this room to be that of the heart. St. Catherine of Siena would later call this the cell of her heart and the cell of self-knowledge. See how she uses monastic terminology even though she, has, she was never a Benedictine nor was she ever a cloistered nun. There are many other examples. St. Francis of Assisi talks about brother body is our cell and our soul is the hermit living indoors in the cell in order to pray to God and meditate on him. That's for everybody. That's for everyone. St. Margaret Mary Alacoque is where we get the image of the Sacred Heart. Our Lord frequently told me that I should keep a secluded place for him in my heart, 
where he would teach me to love him. And then a more recent saint, Saint Faustina. I set up a little cell in my heart where I always kept company with Jesus. And then finally, a little more at length, this comes from Saint Ambrose. Ambrose is one of his most famous things, is Ambrose was the one who catechized and taught Saint Augustine and who baptized him and brought him into the church. They always say, with Saint Augustine, he was converted through the teaching of Saint Ambrose and the prayers and tears of Saint Monica, his mother. So Saint Ambrose says, Christ is held by the mind knowing him and the heart loving him. What is this room except the inner secret of your own person? Keep this inner room clean so that when it is pure, unstained by sin, your spiritual home may stand as a priestly temple with the Holy Spirit dwelling in it. One who seeks and entreats Christ is never abandoned, but visited by him frequently, for he stays always with us. So I think what it would be good for us, it would be good for us uh, today, this evening, to take stock of this inner cell, of the monastery of our hearts, and to say, you know, what does it look like? Are they welcoming to Christ, or are they repugnant to his grace? Um, do they need some tidying up? If so, how? What is it in the cell that should, what is, what is in the shell, the cell, excuse me, what is in the cell that shouldn't be there? Basically, given what we have been talking about, is my heart a religious one, given over entirely to God and given over to his service? And really, I, I leave all of this uh, for your prayer tonight. We have free time tonight, which is a real blessing. And uh, free time uh, tonight, a great way to spend your free time is in the presence of the Lord. Um, so there are other places that are quiet too, but what a great place to come at any time and to reflect upon this. You know, How is it that I am keeping the cell of my soul pure and clean? As I said earlier, you know, we're not made uh, for sin, but rather we're made for God and for God alone. So am I uh, keeping the cell of, of my body? Am I keeping it pure, uh, that monastery that I have in my life? And is it welcoming to Christ at all times? So another aspect of St. Benedict's life that shows forth the virtue of religion is what he left us in writing, his famous rule for monastic life. That's one of the things we hear about all the time when people speak about St. Benedict, his rule. There's all sorts of little different rules, and they're very, very good. It's an interesting work, but it's a bit on the, for us, I think if we were to look at it, it's a bit of the un unorganized at times, but yet it's amazingly profound at all times. So Benedict describes the rule he wrote as minimal, just an initial outline. So in fact, however, he offers useful guidelines, not only for monks, but for all who seek guidance on their journey toward God. For its moderation, its humanity, and its sober discernment between the essential and the secondary in the spiritual life, his rule has retained an illuminating power even to today. That's something that Pope Benedict XVI said again in that very same audience. 
So I say that this rule shows forth religion because of what it describes, the life of a monk, properly ordered both naturally and supernaturally. So whether describing how the community is to choose the monk in charge of the cellar, or describing how the monks are to pray the divine office, St. Benedict is basically describing a monastic life. Transferable, I think, also over to our lives as Catholic men. So one given to God, even in the small things, really that is our life, one given to God, even in the small things. Our Lord calls us to be faithful, even in, the little, in these small things, of course, as well as in the larger matters of life. It comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 10. And St. Benedict called all of his monks to this, to, to this task. I believe he does this both so that our lives are fully given to God, but also because he knew that living such a regulated life, it allows for peace. Peace is the first fruit that comes from order. So it's good for us to live an ordered life as opposed to a chaotic life. It's good for us to live a regulated life because we are able to experience peace. Now, it's good to live these things when we're speaking about the spiritual life, when we're speaking about our own life, because then we can experience peace. So Augustine is the one that says peace is the, is the fruit of the order. And such peace allows for tranquil life with God, even in the midst of the many responsibilities that all of us have. So each of you has a rule for your, for, um, um, for your life, hopefully, right? And if we take a look at the rule for the community, the Benedictine community, we're able to see how it can impact our own life, the way that we live out our own day. So, without, you know, such a rule or out, without an order in our lives, what will happen is we'll start to wander around uh, throughout our day like the lost tribes of Israel in the desert. However, if we have some sort of rule, something's based upon perhaps the rule of Benedict, we can still be in the desert like St. Benedict, but we can always be on a path to Mount Zion, even in the midst of all of our duties that we have and our responsibilities, whether our duties and responsibilities in the family, duties and responsibilities at, at work, or duties and responsibility personally that, that we have. For rural life, it functions much like an anchor. It anchors us to daily prayer, it anchors us to contact with Christ, and it allows us, as St. Benedict says in his rule, to place nothing before Christ. It's probably one of the most um, quoted uh, rules of all of St. Benedict's rules, uh, rule of St. Benedict's rules, uh, to prefer nothing or to place nothing above Christ. That's really foundational for the Catholic. Um, but it, it seems so simple, but many times people forget about it. We forget about it many times. Louis DeWall, in his uh, historical novel, Citadel of God, has a great line just about this. When accused of having no ambition by a former student, St. Benedict responds, there are no more ambitious people on earth than my sons and I, Benedict just said quietly. We want to be friends of God, 
close friends, and we are ready to sacrifice everything, even our own will, for the sake of that aim. Nothing but God himself will do for us. Can ambition fly higher? The rule of life allows us, like St. Benedict, to put nothing before Christ, to have this proper ambition for nothing less than heaven and God himself. As St. Teresa of Avila said, right? God alone suffices. So the rule, when we speak about Benedict and his rule, I'm not encouraging or saying everybody has to go out and to adopt it. But I think it's good for us to look at because there's, you know, there's 1,500 years uh, from, from the establishment of that rule to now, and there's been so many blessings and so many graces that have come from that, that we as Catholic men, I think we at least should avail ourselves a little to it, to read it, to study it, take little bits and pieces of it. I mean, you're gonna have things into it, like the monk is not supposed to get, go to bed with his dagger. Uh, I don't think that's gonna to apply to any of you, right? They do have a very famous saying too, and this is probably one of the second or third most quoted. And it is the monk, the good monk, is always to keep death before him. Good monk is always to keep death before him. The world looks at that and they said, oh my goodness. But really that's, that, that's, a, that's an opportunity to be in touch with our own mortality, right? The good monk always keeps death before him. I'm acting as if I have a skull in my hand, but obviously I don't. But um, that's a good thing to do. That's a good thing to do. That helps us to set our sights on things that are eternal, to realize that the things of this, passing, of this world are passing away. But we set our sights on the things that are eternal. One of my favorite saints, hopefully one of your favorite saints, Saint Jose Maria Escriba. He's the founder of the, the Prelature, Opus Dei. And he had a great influence in my life uh, when I first discovered him before I went into the seminary. And um, great value, I think, for people, especially for the laity. This is for everybody, but especially for the laity when it comes to um, having a rule, or as he would say, having a plan for life. So what I want you to do is I want to let you to listen to these words of St. Jose Maria. They're directed to lay people, and I'm sure St. Benedict would agree with such an understanding about a quote-unquote rule for life. He said, when we examine our piety, when we examine how our piety is and what it should be like, that is what specific points of our personal relationship with God need improving. If you have understood me right, you will reject the temptation of imagining fantastic feats because you will have discovered that our Lord is quite happy if we offer him little tokens of love any moment of the day. Try to commit yourself to a plan of life and to keep to it. A few minutes of mental prayer, holy mass daily. If you can manage it and frequent communion, regular recourse to the sacrament of forgiveness, even though your conscience does not accuse you of mortal sin. Visiting Jesus in the tabernacle, praying and contemplating the mysteries of the Holy Rosary, and so many other marvelous devotions you know or can learn. 
You should not let them become rigid rules or watertight compartments. They should be flexible to help you on your journey, you who live in the middle of the world, with a life of hard professional work and social ties and obligations which you should not neglect. Because in them, your conversation with God still continues. Your plan of life ought to be like a rubber glove which fits the hand perfectly. Please don't forget that the important thing does not lie in doing many things. Limit yourself generously to those you can fulfill each day, whether or not you happen to feel like doing them. These pious practices will lead you, almost without your realizing it, to contemplative prayer. Your soul will pour forth more acts of love, aspirations, acts of thanksgiving, acts of atonement, and spiritual communions. And this will happen while you go about your ordinary duties, when you answer the telephone, get on a bus, open or close a door, pass in front of a church, when you begin a new task, during it and when you have finished it, you will find yourself referring everything you do to your Father God. Comes from a beautiful little book called Friends of God, and that's number 149. I think that's, especially for the laity, I think that's really important. You know, Saint Jose Maria Escriba, um, you know, essentially really gained attention um, following the Spanish Civil War. Um, he really was, you know, decades ahead of the Second Vatican Council. You know, one of the things that comes out of the Second Vatican Council, one of the things that's kind of a baton that Pope St. John Paul took and ran with was the universal call to holiness, and that's what we're talking about and pursuing this weekend. St. Jose Maria Escriba talked about that long before. Now, this has always been the tradition of the church, but he really brought it to the forefront because, you know, during this time, it was believed that only those who were in monasteries, only those who were in cloisters, only those who are entered into the clerical life or to become a part of a religious community, only those were the people who pursued holiness and everybody else lived an ordinary life. But Jose Maria Escriba, drawing upon the traditions of the church, called the laity uh, to a higher level. And the higher level they were called to was to truly live out their baptismal call of who they were. And, and so he gives these, these beautiful little talks. He's, he's got these little books called The Way, a little simple little book. Got a nice series of books called In Conversation with God that are excellent based on the liturgical year. But he's got all these little uh, forge and all these little books that are really good to carry around. You can put them in your pocket, keep them in your car, things like that. And they just give you little bits of wisdom of our faith that you can read and you can kind of chew on throughout the day and they can help you to grow in holiness. And you can hear what he says, says here right now. You know, set your plan, try to get your plan for the day, but don't be so rigid with it, he says. I think that's also another thing to do as well. You know, don't be so rigid with it. And, but give yourself over to it to the best of you can. And then what happen, happens is, as time goes on, what you'll start to do is you'll start to develop that habit, right? It will become habitual. And, and it'll become second nature for you. 
So as he says, when you walk by a church, you automatically make the sign of the cross, acknowledging that our Lord is inside in the tabernacle waiting for you, right? And, you know, just these little things will just naturally happen. In the face of temptation, what will you do? You'll naturally cry out to Jesus, Lord, save me. And the Lord will reach down and grasp your hand and save you from the temptation. All these different things, little by little by little, working on them, and that's just allowing them to become second nature. So when things do come your way, you will be able to um, persevere. And you will be like the man who builds his house on stone, rather than like the man who builds his house on, sta on sand. When the winds come, the rains come, the, the storms come, and they will, They'll come in the form of temptations. What will happen to the person who builds his, his house on sand? The house will crumble. But the wise one is the one, the wise man is the one who builds his house on the firm foundation. And the firm foundation is Jesus Christ. And so if we're building that habit of relying upon Jesus each and every day of our lives, it means we are building a strong foundation upon which we we stand firmly. And so when all these things come, and again, as I said, they will come, we are able to, to withstand them. Tomorrow morning, we're going to talk about the liturgy before we enter into the Mass. But tonight, I just want to leave you with a little story in relationship to devotion to Our Lady, but especially in relationship to devotion to the Blessed Virgin, uh, to the Rosary. And that comes from my hero and probably yours too, Pope St. John Paul II. Remember the life of Pope St. John Paul II, a mother, father, and a brother. And when he was young, very young, he lost his mother. Not too long, uh, not too long later, he lost his brother, and so it left him with his father. His father was a wonderful man. He was a very devout man, very faithful man, and a very loving man. And when Pope St. John Paul II, the young Carol Wotiwa, when he lost his mother, one of the things that his father helped him to do, because he could never replace his mother, but one of the things his father helped him to do was to foster his love and his devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, to rely upon those words that Jesus gives, behold your son, behold your mother so that the young Carol Wotiwa would understand that he was the beloved of the Lord. And when he, our Lord said, Behold your mother, that he was speaking these very same words to him, just as he speaks them to us. Right? His father was great about, you know, every year in August, taking him on pilgrimages, marrying pilgrimages. So what he did was he helped to foster this love and this devotion for Our Lady in the home allowing Our Lady not only to become his, who is his heavenly mother, but also his earthly mother too, having lost his mother. And so this is in the midst of all sorts of horrific events that took place in his life, right? You know, the Nazi concentration, then we have living behind the, the Iron Curtain. He had all these horrible, horrible things. He saw all these atrocities. We saw, he saw people treated so cruelly all these different things that he had take place in his life. But one of the things that carries him through this entire thing, this entire ordeal, is his love 
in his care and his devotion for the Blessed Virgin Mary, realizing that he could always turn to her. Pope St. John Paul II, later in his life, during his pontificate, so remember that all this takes place when he's young, and it carries, him, carries with him throughout his entire life, as a priest, as a bishop, as a cardinal, and eventually as the successor of St. Peter, carries with him through all his, his life. He really works on fostering that relationship. But in 2002, Pope St. John Paul II, he wrote a beautiful letter, beautiful encyclical, and the letter is on the rosary. And in that, at the very beginning, he says, and I think it's one of the most beautiful words, he goes, the rosary is my favorite prayer. I love that, and I love how honest it is. Rosary is my favorite prayer. I don't think I'd ever be so bold to be able to say this prayer is my favorite because I felt like I was downplaying something else. I don't know if that comes from me just simply being a well-adjusted middle child where you try to make sure you have peace in the middle of the family all the time. But he said that, my favorite prayer is the rosary. And he gave us this beautiful letter, and in the letter, he talks about his approach to praying the rosary. And I offer this to you because I think it's important for uh, the entire Catholic world. If we really want to understand and, and kind of uh, plumb the depths of the mysteries of the rosary and the depths of the, uh, of the events of our Lord's life. He said that the rosary itself is a Christocentric prayer, Christ-centered prayer. I think for many of us, we'd say, well, it's a Marian prayer, but JP too said, no, it's a Christocentric prayer. What we do through the intercession of Our Lady is we meditate upon the mysteries of the life of Christ, but we do so through the eyes of his mother. So we meditate upon the lives of Christ, we do so through the eyes of his mother. A mother who loves all of us, a, lover, a mother who wants to wrap us in her mantle of care, a mother who, when we have difficulties in our life, no matter what it is, if we, her children, cry out to her, she comes running to us and scoops us up. These are all the beautiful things that Pope St. John Paul II talked about, the goodness of Our Lady throughout his entire life. Even to the point, if we look at his motto, everyone, Pope or Bishop has an Episcopal motto, totus tuus, meaning all yours, in reference to Our Lady, and then if we look at his coat of arms, again, every bishop has a coat of arms. We have the cross, and under the arm of the cross, we have the M. And that was the image of Our Lady standing at the foot of the cross. A beautiful image. So Pope St. John Paul II said, when we pray the rosary, there's a bit of a methodology that's important for all of us to use. And it's kind of a three-step process, or three pillars to the whole thing. The first is this, you know, we... we God communicates us, communicates us to us through our senses, right? Our, 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 our touch, our smell, our taste, things we hear, right? Things we say. God communicates. This is one of the primary ways he communicates this to us. And so he said, whenever you pray the rosary, one of the things that you need to do is you need to verbalize the, um, the mystery. And the reason why I verbalize the mystery, perhaps, the second Joyful mystery is the visitation of Our Lady to St. Elizabeth. Is not only are we saying it, so we're engaging our senses, we're also hearing it, but for other people, they're hearing it as well. It's engaging their senses. So that's important for us to do, to announce it. But he also said another thing that we want to in, incorporate 
um, in it is we want to um, incorporate images or icons, right? Want to incorporate images or icons because what we're able to do is we're able to look at the icon itself and we're able to go deeper into the mystery that's, that's presented. And we all know those little how to pray the rosary um, leaflets that we can get. Those are great because they all have a title of the mystery and they all give us a little picture of the mystery too. So again, engaging the senses. So he said, that's the first pillar. He said the second pillar, and many of these little pamphlets have this too, is to use scripture. So when we you know, announce the mystery, we look at the mystery, and then we read some of the scripture in order to reflect upon this particular aspect of our Lord's life. And as the announcing and the icon and the scripture, what they allow us to do is go deeper and deeper and deeper into the mystery of Christ's life. Now, the beautiful thing about a mystery is a mystery is something we just don't throw up our arms and say, ah, it's a mystery, I have no idea. A mystery, in, the, in our sense of mystery is, it means that we can't exhaust it. We cannot exhaust it with our mental faculties. We will not truly come to know it until we come into the kingdom of heaven. So he said to use scripture, use scripture whenever you're praying uh, the rosary. And then finally, and I think this is the most important of all of them, is what we're doing this weekend, silence. Take advantage of the silence. So when you're praying the rosary, try not to perhaps race through it and see how fast you can get through it. Good friend of mine, Archbishop Coakley, Paul Coakley, and uh, Bishop Jim Conley, one's of Oklahoma City, one's of Lincoln. And when they were in college, they, were, they had a study abroad program over in Ireland. And um, there was a pastor and he was getting up and he said, you know, you know it's, it's important that we all pray the rosary as a national effort to do these things. And every family should take time each day to pray the rosary. And if you've ever prayed the rosary, the Irish, you'll understand this. He just said, every family has five minutes a day to pray the rosary. Five minutes a day. I was in Ireland this summer and I kind of jumped in the middle of that and I practically got, you know, whiplash. It was going so fast. That doesn't leave much time for silence or reflection or really to, to kind of, again, to plumb the depths of the mystery. So Pope St. John Paul II said those are the three aspects that are very important. The icon and the announcing go together. The scripture is one and then finally the silence. And those can help us to grow in our love and our devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. So what I would uh, encourage you to do is try to build the habit of praying the rosary daily. Now, if the rosary isn't a part of your daily prayer life, start slow. It's like getting into a pool, you start in the shallow end, you work your way up to the deep end, eventually you can jump off the high dive. The worst thing to do would be to just walk over when you've never done it, hop on the high dive, jump into the water, you might never get back in again, right? So um, don't start too fast. But if the rosary is something that you do every day, then try to incorporate some of these pillars that Pope St. John Paul II gave to us. They were very helpful to this man who had one of the most beautiful Marian devotions, and I think they can be helpful to us as well so that we can strengthen and foster our devotion to Our Lady. So when we have struggles and difficulties in our lives, and we will, we can cry out to our mother 
and our mother who loves us will come running and she'll wrap all of us in her arms and she'll give us that motherly loving embrace. She'll always be there for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pope St. John Paul II. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit.